fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Now, who does that? We do. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, the doctor, Michael Dennett. You know, Dan, I am so excited to be here, and I love that you called me the doctor. It makes it, you know, a warm feeling in my heart. More importantly, this show, we take it up a notch. You always mention that we do the favorite fictional characters. We are focusing on mythical characters. Perhaps my favorite thing in life. I am so excited. Well, I agree with you, and I think explaining them is very interesting, and different cultures explain them, and different television shows, as we're going to learn, explain mythological creatures differently. But before we get to that, we have a mythological creature of our own, our robotic, our enigmatic, our eccentric enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, today I'm in front of Torchwood Manor, a beautiful home in the British countryside. However, there have been some rumors of dark happenings inside, perhaps with these mythical creatures, and I gotta go and check them out. Well, before you do, we gotta get you prepared, Ben. We gotta tell you a little bit about what's going on here. And as you mentioned, Denon, these are mythological creatures. And this, you know, I think you and I kind of have a similar fascination with this because every culture has their own set of mythological creatures. Some cross cultures, uh, you know, we as we've learned a little bit about them, we can find out the, the source of some of these, these kind of creatures. You know, uh, I think the, the Norwals inspire the unicorn. Uh, I've got a couple of, of things I wanna talk about here in a second. But what about you, Denon? Why did this appeal to you? Well, I think for me, and this is a little spoiler for our episode, I apologize up front, but I think the eternal debate between which is better, werewolves or vampires, it's something we've addressed in some Halloween issues. It's something that I think is like fundamental core to human history that we need to figure out which is better, werewolves or vampires. And in this show, we get to see how Doctor Who explains those. And of course, everyone's favorite mythological creature, Satan. Like, like, what is better than an episode that has werewolves, vampires, and Satan? I just, y y this is going to be an earth-shattering, record-setting podcast episode with this content, Dan. That's all I have to say at the beginning. I got to tell you, once again, you confused me because you called Satan a fictional creature, but I believe... No, mythological. 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 That's fictional, right? I mean, that's the well, same sometimes, thing. Sometimes myths have the core kernel of truth that yeah. brings it all together. Yeah. Well, I will tell you uh, very quickly, I don't want to spoil anything, but we are going to talk about Satan as he appears in the Doctor Who episode. One of my favorite... Fascinating Nouns episode. If you want to go back into the archives, I spoke with a gentleman, Dr. Harry Ansgar, about the the history of Satan as a character in mythology, which I thought was really interesting, especially Catholic mythology, if I'm allowed to call it that without offending you. You Dan. are, Dan. You okay. are. I give okay. you approval. <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, I, it still surprises me that you would call him a mythological creature, given your religious background, but maybe you'll explain that later on. But Ben, what about you? You know, you don't seem like a mythological creature guy, but I do know that you like D&D. Is that where some of this comes from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if only we could uh, explain, you know, horned devils and, uh, you know, all, all the lawful evil creatures that I, I really find bug fascinating from D&D. <laughs> bug, bug, what yeah, about bugbear? Bug yeah, what about Asmodeus? Is he your favorite? <laughs> Which one? Asmodeus. Isn't he the head of all the lawful evil devils? 
Uh, he's one of them, yeah. You know, also, you know, you got Tiamat, the the queen king, leader of the dragons. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. gotta love that. You know, multi-headed dragon. That's super cool. You know, mm-hmm. so I love this stuff, and I think it's really fascinating. And what I like about Doctor Who is that, to some degree, it grounds it. It, it gives us some cool understandings of where these myths could possibly come from. And, you know, I'm always up for that. Like, I, I love to find out, learn the history of where these stories come from. And I like Doctor Who's uh, spin on those stories. I, ben, I love that. And I've got an answer for you. I bet you didn't expect that. But on a Fascinating Nouns episode that I just did this past Halloween, uh, I spoke with an expert about how gruesome serial killings in antiquity inspired some of these mythological creatures. People back then believed that these killings were so brutal, so terrible, that they could not possibly have been done by human beings. And some of them looked like they were attacked by an animal. Some of them were drained of blood, you know, like a vampire. Obviously, the first one I was alluding to, a werewolf. Uh, so there, there, there's a little bit of, of history here. There, there were bandits on the road that would kill people uh, without question, and they were pretty brutal. So in some ways, this answers a lot of those questions at least, you know, from from a Western perspective. What do you think about that, Ben? Dan, I really appreciate that because I, I think it's important that we have both, you know, what these awesome, interesting Western approaches to these stories. And I like that you've uh, gotten us some answers for, on that, Dan. So, and I really would like to know Denon's uh, d- uh interest in these stories as well. Well, can I jump in there really quickly, Denny? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna tee up a little bit. You are the you are the mastermind, so you can always jump in. I'm gonna jump in here and say that you know what's cool about Doctor Who is that there's a scientific explanation for everything. And a lot of these creatures have alien origins, possibly ancient alien origins. Is there a little bit of that going on here um, in our cultures as well? I think there is some of that, you know, and it's interesting to me. What I like about Doctor Who, 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 <laughs> what I like about Doctor Who is the way he brings in the aliens. Um, not well, he doesn't bring them. The way the show integrates the aliens, um, interacting with the universe and with humanity. Um, it, it it is. Um, I find a, a variety of alien interactions that actually sit very well with me. Um, I don't think any of them happened, but they are great postulations and theories. Well, I, you know, and I think we're going to get to some of that, then, because I'm going to ask your opinion on a lot of these things, which includes our first item up for discussion. And by item, I mean creature. And that are these are werewolves. Now, in the show, in Doctor Who, I kind of like this explanation. They're called lupine wavelength uh, hymoveriforms. I wanted to get this correct before I said it. Nailed first. it. I, <laughs> I think I did. Uh, and I think these are kind of cool. First of all, I like the name. The homoveriform is great because of veriform, things that can change form. And this is an alien that seems to be able to transfer bodies through the blood, not to be confused with a vampire. Uh, the I like this this kind of alien origin. You know, I like the idea of going through the blood, being able to infect it and change, um, and has some connection to the moon. I, I, I don't know. How do you... And, and, the, and also the incredible hair. I, I like some of this, but some of it's a little bit different. What do you think about that, Denon? Does this jibe with what you're saying? It, it does. I think the thing I like best about it is the idea of using a human body as a cell culture place, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you... It's a little subtle, and it's throughout the episode, but you learn from the doctor that his theory is one cell of the original alien survived. 
and that it kind of grew within humans. And basically, the monks in this abbey um, were breeding this wolf to come to fuller and fuller maturation. And it's an interesting twist because it means like the early versions of it, moonlight probably triggered a very small transformation, right? So you're combining light as a trigger, which we know light can trigger many chemical reactions. So it's not totally crazy that certain wavelengths of light do certain things. It wakes us up, Denon. It it, it controls our circadian rhythms. It controls our circadian rhythms, et cetera. Um, And then this long time frame. So you have these stories of werewolves building as the wolf... Um, culture and cell structure slowly takes over more and more of the human. So I I like both aspects of these. Um, I'm fascinated by the role of the moon and how that transfers the light to be most effective because the sunlight by itself obviously doesn't trigger the transformation. So a lot of interesting things in here. And, you know, when I think about this, I'm wondering if you could engineer, like if you could take the cells out and do this in the lab. Ben, are, are you going to bring these cells to your lab? Or are you think it has to be in the human biology that the cells evolve? Well, I don't know about that. Oh, I guess they must be evolving to some degree, obviously. I meant grow. Sorry, process. I should have said grow, not evolve. <laughs> well, but I think it's probably both, right? I mean, this is a, you know, this is a somewhat symbiotic or maybe parasitic relationship here where this alien cell line is growing inside the body and being transferred between bodies. And it must be evolving to some degree because obviously as it splits and grows, you know, it's going to adapt to being better and better able to consume, you know, the hum- the energy from the human. I think what's also interesting, though, is you, you somewhat alluded to it, but, you know, moonlight is just reflected sunlight, right? There, it's not different. It's the same light. Is it though, Ben? Is it just reflected sunlight? Yes. Yeah, yes, it is, Dan. Okay. Just wanted to, just wanted to clarify I will, I will just throw in here, in the reflection process, the exact details of the spectrum may be changing, just like we know when the light comes through the clouds and when it reflects off the Earth, the, the spectral distribution does change. I want to throw that out. Yes, absolutely. The spectral distribution changed. And what is also is the intensity obviously changed because it's now reflective. And so what I think is what I think we can posit here is that the transformation occurs when there's a full moon's worth of moonlight. Mm-hmm. You know, that part's important. Um, and then we have to ask the question of why doesn't like, a, you know, why don't you transform at dawn or dusk when there's that much light? And I think it's because, you know, the spectrums change because, you know, dawn and dusk when it's the same level of darkness as the, you know, a full moon, it's it's yellow, it's red. It's not it's not the right light anymore. And so the the werewolf happens from this reflected spectrum at the intensity of the full moon that is the pure white light off of the moon. I love I love that. I love that Ben and it really goes to how we eventually kill the werewolf, but we may be jumping ahead of ourselves, but Dan, put a pin in that cuz I think this explains a lot. Well, well, go ahead, kill the werewolf. Let's let's talk about that first. But there's more I want to talk about about this the werewolf cells, but yeah, go ahead Dan, Dan if you want to kill the werewolf, go ahead. Well, so we <laughs> see we kill the werewolf by increasing the intensity and the doctor has a great line cuz you know, his companion is like, what are we doing? Why are we giving it more light? And he says, we're water-based, but with enough water, you drown. Mm-hmm. I'm just going <laughs> to let true. that sit there for a moment, right? It's true. So yeah. this is why the creatures are smart enough not to transfer during sunlight. Because 
there, there's just going to be too much and they will die. And so it's an interesting twist on the werewolf vampire blend because these alien werewolves clearly die in excessive light. So there's a little bit of a crossover there, um, Ben and Dan, that I think is going to be interesting as we think about this. But I love, I love this fine line of why the full moon is the sweet spot for the alien to show its true form. I think that's interesting, but the thing that I, you know, you guys like this moonlight part. I thought this idea that the cells mature over the course of about 100 years inside yep. of a human being, but this is an alien life form, right? We're still talking about that's the Doctor Who way. Is This is yep. an alien. Don't these types of creatures have to, you know, on, on Earth, you've got everything has evolved with each other, right? So you have these symbiotic relationships that evolve over time as two organisms are in close contact with each other. How does this, you know, kind of, for lack of a better term, this Andromeda strain come to Earth and is able to successfully infect a human being and then, you know, gestate inside them at the cellular level for 100 years before coming to maturation? Uh, that seems... Uh, I mean, it seems inefficient because it has to be passed down generation to generation, you know, unless you're someone like my grandmother who's 95, um, you know, a lot of people don't live to be that old. A lot of people, you know, um, 100 is a, is a big number to get to. Very few people reach it. So it seems that this is, there's, there's, there's problems is what I'm saying here, guys. There's problems in the biology. Um, ben, you know, what, what do you think about the, the, this idea that, you know, it's, it's living inside the human for so long? Well, I think the living inside the human, you know, maybe I think you are able to transfer it to a different human. You know, you could certainly do a blood transfusion or something. But I think also we need to answer the question of, you know, you, you asked like how, you know, symbiosis and paras symbiotic relationships mm -hmm. and parasites, you know, they evolve over tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. And I'm going to then posit, how do we know when this alien showed up on Earth? It could have been at the dawn of man hundreds of thousands, millions of years ago. And it has been co-evolving with us. And there's always been this werewolf cult, werewolf alien cult since the dawn of man. And we just get to find the fun dramatic part of it when it shows up in you know British history with the queen, which is what the doctor's interested in. Hmm. That could be. That could be. But I'm going to blow all of your minds. Okay. You're, we're we're, okay. we're missing something that this show is an expert in. Okay, the I love it already. To your question, Dan, gut bacteria. It okay, solves it all. Okay, tell me how. How do I get excess hair from from gut bacteria, Dennis? So we we got a little focus on the blood part, but keep in mind it only transfers through a bite. And what's right. in your bite? Your saliva, not your blood. Where does your saliva Hopefully. come from? Your gut. What's in your gut? Your gut bacteria. I probably made it wrong about the saliva thing, but it's in your yeah, mouth. Your mouth's connected to your gut. So I just go so. with me on that. I think go saliva comes from salivary glands. I could be wrong. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know my anatomy that well, but uh, I like what you're saying. I think vomit comes from your gut, Denon. I think vomit comes from your gut. It mixes with the stuff coming from your gut. Okay, okay. I'm just I'm just creating a pathway here, right? I'm, I'm trying to work know, with you, Denon. <laughs> we do know, right? Your gut has to talk to your blood because that's how the nutrients get from your from your gut to your blood, right? And that's got to be a two-way path. If nutrients can get into your blood, alien cells can get out. I think the gut bacteria is a rich environment for this alien to multiply itself and gain power. Um, and it's, again, it's not having to evolve. It's simply having to grow. 
And mm -hmm. I think the growing is always faster than the evolving. So I think that's where there's a deep connection here. And the bite is what gave me the insight, despite my mistaken anatomy over the salivary glands. Yeah, I'm worried that your that your medical knowledge ended with like Socrates. I'm kind of worried that <laughs> the body's not split into four humors anymore. Uh, so I don't know exactly if it holds up. Ben, what do you think about this? Uh, well, I mean, there there's, there's microflora on everywhere in our body, not just, you know, in our in intestines and things like that. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have bacteria in our mouths. We have bacteria on our skins, on our skin, on our skin. <laughs> you said mouths as well. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, okay. I guess we're using the humans. royal we here. Yeah, let, Let's talk uh, about humans. humans, humans only. Humans, humans only. as a yeah. whole have bacteria in our mouths, in our, on our skin, <laughs> In our uh, mouth, <laughs> in our mouth, singular. In our in our intestines. Well, in there's our multiple mouths across multiple humans, Dan. Yeah, that's okay, what right, I'm referring right, to. But skin is already a skin's weird. Anyway, <laughs> grammatically, it's weird. So th the point is, uh, this microflora is everywhere, and so it would make it. It's not so crazy that you would transfer it in the bite because it would make sense that this alien pathogen is in all of our uh, microflora throughout our body. So, you know, even the scratch, right? You know, sometimes there's stories where the scratch of the werewolf even can uh, transfer that, uh, that pathogen to you. So you could imagine it's even like under your nails. And so I think this makes perfect sense that uh, it can be transferred through what seem to be things that don't involve necessarily our gut bacteria. Okay. Well, I want to, you know, I want to end this because I want to move on to vampires because I think we, we've, we've covered this really well. But the thing I want to mention, of course, I'm going to mention a, a, a shameless plug here for Fascinating Nouns. Uh, I spoke with a couple of Navajo rangers and they told me about Navajo magic, which includes this idea of skinwalkers. This is a fantastic story that I hadn't really heard about before, but this is, you know, these are, are, are people um, who can essentially change forms. This is this is the belief and people really believe in this. this is, I mean, this is a modern day werewolf story uh, that doesn't go back into antiquity. It's very modern. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Got a couple of videos. You should check those out. But let's talk about vampires here, guys. Um, you know, we did a whole series on Castlevania uh, here on, on FGGBT. We've talked about vampires, but here in the Doctor Who world, they're a little different. Um, you know, there, there, there's, there's a little bit something else going on here. So, Denon, let's talk about them first. You know, when, when vampires in this world, what did you like about them? Well, what I liked about this, okay, is the idea of the mythological creature that isn't what we think it is, but is the basis for the story. So, with the werewolves, the aliens really were werewolves, right? The the human turns into an actual wolf at full moon, just like we say werewolves do. Um, you brought up the narwhal, whale, narwhal. I don't know how to pronounce narwhal. it. Narwhal. Thank you. Um, there are. You also, told me that example, Den, and I stole that example. I from know. You. I told you the example. <laughs> I just can't pronounce the words. Um, right. So we many of our mythological creatures are clearly uh, we saw something and then we make up something that looks like it. You know, in this case. The aliens are not actually vampires, but they're connected with, and we think they're vampires, and they have some of the similar properties, but they are fundamentally fish aliens, which I found fascinating. I really mm -hmm. liked that idea. And they're fish aliens whose sort of visual disguise devices don't always work perfectly, and the combination of fish alien and failed disguise makes them look like a vampire. Right. I thought that was brilliant. Um, that's what I liked most about this. I don't know, Ben. What did you most like about this? Well, when they're when they're draining your blood, I, I think 
they're intentionally turning off that piece so that their teeth look right while they drink your blood? I don't know. <laughs> that part I thought was, uh, that part kind of made sense to me that they, they want you to see the, they want you terrorized. Maybe maybe the adrenaline, maybe they like the <laughs> taste of adrenaline, so they want to scare you a little bit before they uh, hmm. they drink your blood. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I, liked, I love this idea of, you know, the mythical creature is really an alien that has the properties of the mythical creature. But I liked what I really liked about this one is how it's clearly our typical vampire mythology does not quite match up with these aliens. And I like that, you know, maybe the story has evolved a little bit over since the Renaissance era when the, the story takes place to modern time and how maybe that's how the vampires were, but we've kind of distorted it over time to make them either more or less scary. You know, I'm not sure which is which version's more scary. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we've mutated a little bit so that you know, that is what happened, but now we, we, you know, we got the story wrong a little bit now in the modern era. Well, this is kind of, I mean, I like, you know, what you guys are saying here. It's it's these creatures that have properties that are similar to what we think vampires are. As a matter of fact, you know, there's this great line in that episode with, that these are creatures so dangerous that they want you to think that they're vampires, which I thought was, was really <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, they're, they're fish aliens. And this, you know, uh, I'm an H.P. Lovecraft fan. There's, you know, there's a great story called The Shadow Over Innsmouth, uh, which this felt very, uh, it felt like a tie. This, I don't know if this episode was influenced by that story, but there's, there's a lot of similarities here, which includes a connection to the water. But, you know, I really, the thing that I really liked was their camouflage and the explanation for not being able to be seen in a mirror. There's a spot with scene where the doctor's like checking his teeth something in his teeth for some weird reason happened. I think this needed him to be looking in a mirror, but behind him, there's like five of these creatures. And then he looks in the mirror, can't see him, turns behind him and he can see them. And they explain it as the creatures. The first time you see them in a mirror, because it's so different and your brain, can't quite figure out what it is. It just doesn't see it at all. And therefore you see nothing. That was really cool to me. I like that. And also Denon, this explanation feels very much closer to that ancient aliens explanation than the werewolf one did. No, it definitely is. And uh, and I'll get to that, Dan. But I will point out that the mirror response is exactly if people had seen the first episode about the TARDIS would be exactly why no one notices the TARDIS when it's out in the middle of the field. So we've just got extra evidence of the camouflage TARDIS. But you're right. This is totally aligned more even more than the werewolves, because the whole alien is a physically large being that you see that is just trying to live here and disguise itself versus alien cells that have to grow in a person like the werewolf. So Mm -hmm. a lot cleaner. They also talk about, you know, them fleeing their world, their world dying. You get the history of what's going on and that somehow they only save the one female. That's why the vampires are predominantly capturing females, um, a part of the vampire myth that's very strong. Um, because they need to turn them into females of the species. You have the switching the blood, the human blood with their blood, as the way of converting them. It's a much more complex process, but they make it very scientific um, about... Very complex process. Yeah. Very <laughs> complex, but very scientific, uh, uh, you know, at least as as, as far as Doctor Who goes. <laughs> yeah, um, science adjacent, for sure. <laughs> you know, but, but it is... It, 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 it's interesting the elements of the vampire myth that they pick for this because you never have to deal with like the staking in the heart and all the other yeah. stuff because yeah. we just we just kind of wipe them out. But I, I'm, I'm interested in this blood transfusion thing. Um, you know, um, 
Ben is our, our resident potential evil scientist who's going to take over the world. Um, you know, is this a, a path to species domination or are they delusional and this is never going to work? Well, I mean, this is certainly a classic, uh, tro not a trope, a classic way of making vampires. You know, there's, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, the vampire just bites you and that's it. But a in a lot of the cases, they have to drain you of all your blood and then replace your blood with the vampire blood and that some that converts you. And I, and that makes kind of more sense when the vampires are just kind of mutated humans or infected humans. Uh, when it's an alien, it's weird, right? Because how does the alien blood turn you into an alien? That's weird. And I think it's got to be some sort of, you know, it's more maybe of a, a kind of gr um, growth or... You know, kind of like the wasp laying its egg in the in the oh. grasshopper, right? Mm. It, it's not really converting you. What it's doing is growing a new being inside of you. And then, you know, eventually it just bursts forth and you're now an alien and your human self is basically gone. That, that's the best explanation I can come up with. That's how you that. would do it. That's how you would do it, right, Ben? <laughs> yeah, that's how I would do it. Well, I like that explanation because you got to use the phrase "bursts forth," which actually does <laughs> yeah. cause images of Alien, the movie, for me. Yeah. Um, right. So you know, I think there's a deep connection there. Yeah. Well, and and you know, it goes back to my question about the werewolves: is this biocompatibility thing? You know, I mean, do mm -hmm. does that require these fish aliens to be biologically compatible to humans, or could they do it, you know, with any carbon-based life? I think as long as it's a carbohydrate, they can consume. As long as they consume carbohydrates like we do, I think it would work. I, I just raise a question, Dan. You bring up biocompatibility, uh, something that never struck me watching the episode because I was focused on their camouflage. Mm -hmm. um, how are these fish surviving above water um, while walking around as vampire slash human disguised creatures? Uh, do they also have breathing apparatuses? No. So, like, there is clearly an amphibious-like thing going on here, I would suspect, right? I mean, we have to assume something like that. You would have to assume something like that. Unless they breathe air but mate in the water. Because from what I understand, there were lots of males in the water and they were trying to create females. Right, the males were all underwater for the most part, yeah. Yeah, so I, and I think they were all underwater. It's the, only the females who were above. And they were created from human females. Perhaps they just uh, didn't have enough disguise devices, so that they just had to hide the guys down there. <laughs> it's, it's possible, but I think there might be, you know, I think that there might be some sort of biological component here. Maybe maybe the, the males are aqueous and the females are not. You know, you look at a lot of insect colonies, right? I mean, you have the females are the ones running things. The guys are just the, the sperm donators, and then they're, they're out of here, right? So maybe that's yep. what's going on. You got these males in the water. Um, they're yeah. ju just there for genetic material, and then they you know, drown or die or whatever. And then the, you know, the, the queens and the females and the workers all live above ground in, in harmony. I, I don't know. That's, uh, I'm, I'm pulling something, you know. Well, actually, Dan, I think you solved it. I'm, I'm I think giving I did. you that one. I think that's a win. <laughs> right out of my keister. I think I just solved yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, extreme sexual dimorphism. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. I did it. I did it again accidentally. Um, and speaking of accidentally stumbling into something, let's move on <laughs> to. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I want to, you know, I want to get to our, our Satan explanation here because I think you know we, we've we've got werewolves, we've got vampires, 
and this this idea of Satan, I thought this was a really cool way to look at a couple of different things, not just an idea of an extraordinarily evil creature that is so powerful that it draws other evil towards it and inspires the myths about Satan, but also how it's trapped and captured looks just like how, you know, the biblical description of hell, which is a black hole, you know, this this is satellite spinning around a black hole that's keeping this creature contained. This was, I thought this was great, and it reminded me of my, one of my favorite video games, Doom. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on here, but I think for me, you know, Denon, you brought this up. I think a lot of this stuff is extraordinarily consistent um, with the, the, this is where the mythology and their explanation are, are extraordinarily consistent. No, I really like the alignment here. I love this episode, Dan, which is one of the reasons I, you know, proposed we talk about it. And, and to answer one of your earlier questions in the show, you know, we, we do have to understand that, you know, mythological creatures and myths are a very powerful way of sharing truths. So it is a very consistent idea that, you know, Satan is not a real physical creature, um, but a mythological representation of the reality of evil. And I think the show kind of captures this idea that you, you, we know about evil, we know evil's real, and it, it sort of, this creature is augmenting that sense because it's trapped in this space, but some of its essence or thoughts or feelings is leaking out, and the universe is sensing that. Okay. So I yeah. really like that interaction. Um, so that's what drew me to this episode. I'm totally with you, Dan. This is this is really a fascinating, great episode because it's also one where the doctor is facing something he doesn't really necessarily know at the beginning. Um, right. But yeah. before yeah. we solve it, Dan, you know, this this really reminds me, you know, the the hell and heat and and temperature. I get thirsty when that happens, Dan. Do you, Denon? What do you I do, do when you're thirsty? So I, I need a little drink of water, and I like to use my fascinating gadgets because most of your base technology because I am the physics phenom. You are you know? the physics phenom. And so I just thought I'd throw that in at this point. I love it. That is my great, that is my favorite piece of analog technology that we talk about. And you can get your own mug if you want to quench your thirst, whether you're in hell, going to hell, or from hell. And you can do it at ftriplegbt.com backslash merch. We got all kinds of shirts. And hopefully, we're going to come up with some ingenious quote here that is going to be put on a shirt and you can buy it on that website. We will let you know. But as far as quotes go, Ben, when it comes to Satan, when it comes to evil, you're the guy I turn to. What do you have to say about not only this episode, but how well it conformed to your ideas of what Satan is? Well, I, I think, again, it, it, what I love about these Doctor Who episodes is that it provides these kind of these scientific explanations for these mythological creatures. And what, what I like about the Satan thing is there's this implication, not only that this is hell, but he's been imprisoned there. There's some even more powerful creature mm -hmm. that at some point in time took Satan from somewhere and was like, nah, you're going to be in black hole prison for the rest of time. <laughs> yeah. And I like that. And for some reason he imprisoned him, didn't destroy him. So it kind of also goes to show that for some reason it's important for the universe that Satan exists, but is imprisoned. <laughs> And I'm curious, Denon, what you think about why is it important that Satan still exists? Hmm. You know, it, that's a great question. I don't, I don't think it's important that Satan still exists. I think it's important that we recognize that evil is out there and is a real thing, mm. not as a person per se, but evil does happen. But it's, you know, when you said that 
Ben, I realized, you know, that is just a common theme in so many stories. You know, a popular show right now is The Wheel of Time, and that is one that has the dark one, the equivalent of Satan, who's in a prison, right? Like, this is a common theme Mm -hmm. in fantasy um, stories and in myths, that Satan is real but imprisoned and always trying to escape. So that's another cool thing about this version of Doctor Who. I think, you know, Dan, to your point, it really captures this core mythology around Satan so well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, well, so first of all, you know, just to answer Ben's question, which I think is universal, is that maybe the other creature who imprisoned the Satan creature in this show isn't powerful enough to kill him or he can't be killed or it's just not feasible, right? Also, you know, to go on a more you know, a, a take it, you know, a meta step back, you know, maybe darkness needs is needed in order to have the light. I said that backwards. Light requires darkness. You know, you have to have both of these <laughs> things. Um, you know, for some reason, us humans, we value light over darkness. And in that, in, and so in our mythology, it's the evil is the bad part. That's the part we don't like, the undesirable trait. So we have to keep that in check while, you know, um, but while uh, making the the light the good part. Now maybe there's other cultures where it's the opposite, and maybe you know it's the creature of light that's that's imprisoned or captured or tried to just be destroyed. <laughs> you know we're looking at this from a very um, yeah, from a moralistic standpoint. That I think when it comes to creatures, I don't think we can quite do the same thing. Maybe I'm yeah maybe I don't know what I'm talking about here. Well, I got to ask you an important question here, Dan. Yeah. Was Satan destroyed when he fell into the black hole then? Because. If, if if this hmm. powerful creature had the ability to him, imprison him in the black hole, yeah. he certainly could have had the power to ha- throw him into the black hole. Right. So did did he did he escape again? Is he now out and about? Hmm. Well, I I would actually say Ben, it's an interesting question, hmm. and and I think what we saw as Doctor Who explores the channel, right, is that you had a race of beings. It was not just one creature that could create a prison, mm-hmm. right. And they may not have had... Well, run you know, the, the prison, tech- then. They're just running the prison. I don't know that they created it. Well, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would argue they had to create it to run it. Someone had to create Someone it. Someone had to create it, yeah. Right. And it, it's an interesting challenge of how do you not have the creature escape while at the same time have it actually make sure it falls into the black hole. And I think this is where the Time Lord... Doctor Who, as master of black hole technology, coupled um, with, I believe this was at with the companion Rose, right? Mm-hmm. I hope I got that yeah, right, because otherwise right. we're going to get massive hate mail. No, no, we'll get, <laughs> that's all right. I'll take hate mail. No, well, that's right. Rose yeah. is there. Yeah, no, she's involved. But he made the comment that he had something that the other civilization did not. He had Rose. And it was Rose is understanding and realization that the creature's spirit, the relevant part, was escaping with her. Mm-hmm. And the two of them timing things together that yeah. allowed the ultimate destruction of the creature. So I think you are exactly right, Ben, that the original creators of this could not figure out how to both get the creature into the black hole while being imprisoned, right? Like that was their paradox and conundrum. They had a choice of prison or not, and if it's not in prison, you can't get it in the black hole. And the very essence of the prison was one that it had to be at the edge of the black hole. So they couldn't throw the prison in either. So it was the doctor solving this paradox that allowed the creature to get destroyed. Yeah, and I guess we, we do see its soul escape in the thrilling climax of the episode. 
and then get sucked back in. And well, and then get sucked back in again. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, because that would be the, the question. That's how I would answer your question. And uh, they did it a little differently in this episode. But you know, the the Satan creature is essentially two parts. It's a physical and a mental or spiritual. And I do mm-hmm. like how they explain demonic possession in this episode as well, which I thought was really cool. But you have to destroy both. And you know, does one escape? You know, just because you destroy the physical body, if this mind gets out, then you 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 know, running a rough shot. Well, I think that this also, though, shows us an important physics concept, which is souls are massless and they can therefore escape black holes. <laughs> ah, oh, that's great. I like that. Uh, I mean, and if that's the case, then it wouldn't necessarily get sucked into the black holes, what you're saying, so that it could get out. Exactly. And so there, that, and so it had to get out so it could not be destroyed. So the soul has to be trapped in a massful body that can be captured by the black hole. Right. But not one that escapes the black hole like we see in this episode where several yeah. people escape. Uh, I think that I think we kind of did it. I think we kind of figured out Satan. Uh, that's I mean, this is this was I think these episodes were a lot of fun to me because I like seeing how these different shows uh, really take a different approach to mythological mythological creatures. And this one, you know, it's right up our alley. Doctor Who's all about science. And these were either alien or science based or, you know, massless energetic projections. I, I, I agree with that. I will make a slight uh, addendum um, to Ben saying, I mean, light is technically massless and doesn't escape black holes. It's not quite massless. It's energyless, mm, um, which is a subtle, subtle distinction, but important for the, you know, connoisseurs out there. I didn't even say that right. The connoisseurs, 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 connoisseurs. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The people who know a lot who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the people are going to complain. That's what we got to. The no, people but, are going to. But we got to get it right. We pride ourselves on getting it right, well, and yeah. I think that that works. Well, as we all know, as Einstein teaches us, energy is mass. Right, and so, so <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So this is this is an energyless. Um, ben was just using the right side of the equation. I'm using the, the left, left side, side of the equation. Sure. It all works together. <laughs> sure. <Yes. laughs> no, it sure does. Um, but I think it's, you know, I think it's great that that we're able to explain this. But it's possible, guys, it's possible that despite three incredible answers and and breakthrough theories, there might be something we missed. And, you know, this is the spot where we got to do it. This is our errors, additions, and omissions section. Is there anything about these episodes that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to? Denon. I'm looking at you first. So my first thing is, and I I realize now I need to go do research in the British mythology around werewolves because in this episode, it's mistletoe that keeps the werewolf out. Right. And the doctor leaves it as an open question. Is the mistletoe something the alien actually has a problem with? Or was it psychological that that the, the monks actually trained the alien to think mistletoe was bad for it as a means of controlling it like we often do with animals when we train them you know aversion therapy for the animals of some sort Mm -hmm. so i found that an interesting little twist um and i and i clearly need to know more about british mythology like did everybody in england watching that go oh yeah mistletoe that gets rid of werewolves sure and i'm sitting here going mistletoe why would you use that with werewolves yeah um (laughs) so that was my one the other one, I just I would like to point out to our listeners an interesting little twist. Um, that's a subtlety of this episode um, that I, I I feel is worth sharing at the end. You know, normally we explain the technology at the heart of it. What I thought was cool about this is Doctor Who gave us the explanation of the mythological creatures, and we explained the explanation. So this was a very <laughs> meta episode. A little bit. Um, I, 
I, it's not an error. It's an addition. It's a clarification for those listening um, as to the power of Doctor Who and this show working together in partnership. I mean, a useful, it's an absolutely useful addition. Just like we work in partnership, we work in concert, uh, both explanation and explanation, explanation need to reside. Um, otherwise, we can't get the whole story. What about you, Ben? Is there anything about this that we didn't talk about you wanted to get to? Well, you know, I was thinking, you know, I've always wanted to visit Venice and this this episode kind of makes me a little nervous now. You know, if you go on these canals, you've got, you know, are these fish alien vampire things all all down there? I don't know. I, you know, hopefully, you know, I remember hearing some stories during the pandemic that the canals were suddenly clear because, you know, there weren't people around in Venice because the tourists couldn't go there. So I'm I'm very curious. Did the Venetians, without all the tourists around, did they, were they able to see down to the bottom of the canals and make sure these vampire alien fish things aren't really down there? It's uh, a good question. I wish that they. I think we need to figure that out um, because you know, as I mentioned, you know, in my area, this isn't really this is just an addition on something I said earlier. But I mentioned I love H.P. Lovecraft: The Shadows Over Intimate. That it's a great story, and it makes me wonder what people's fascination is with the connection between fish and humans. You know, we, you know, human beings, terrestrial creatures came out of the ocean at some point back in our evolutionary line. We, you know, we, we have a shared ancestor that is probably fish based. I don't know if that's really true or not, uh, but I, we got something out there that was both in the water and had legs. Um, I'm getting this a little bit wrong. This is very similar to Denon's medical, <laughs> medical knowledge about the four humors of the body. But I thought that was really interesting. This connection between fish and humans has always interested me, interested me because we came from them, but they're also very different. Um, I, I just love that part of the story. But if you want to add more to this, if there's something that we missed and you want to get in touch with us and correct anything that we've missed, any of Denon's medical knowledge or of my any knowledge, <laughs> my historical knowledge, please do. We're easy to get a hold of. You can find the show on Twitter at FGGBTPod or on Facebook at FGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Just flip my name. That's at Denon Michael. And on Facebook, you need to stick in the prof at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at BSeepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you rate and review and double check that you're subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring the bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Now remember, you want to use this for good and be a superhero. You don't want to use this for evil and be a supervillain. As I said, let me in summary, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there. 
fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.